You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners from the lands from where each of us is listening. I'm on Wajuk country in the Noongar Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today, I'm interviewing Professor Mark Belgrove, Director of Research at the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health at Monash University, and he's the author of a new landmark Australian guideline for diagnosis and treatment of ADHD. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. All right, Mark, leaping straight into it, please give us a thumbnail sketch of developing a clinical guideline. Well, look, uh, obviously your listeners will know that there are many different medical conditions that have had clinical practice guidelines developed and the the purpose is really to uh, unify standardised clinical practice. So for our ADHD guideline, we were very keen to uh, do this. We followed the uh, NHMRC process, which basically means we start out with a list of prioritised questions. We formulate those questions with broad stakeholder engagement. So, you know, right across the full gamut of those involved in the uh, the diagnosis, treatment and care of people with ADHD. And from those uh, list of prioritised questions, then we really go and do a really deep dive into the uh, published literature to see what the evidence is uh, relating to those various questions. So, Uh, We've developed what's called an evidence-based clinical practice guideline, which means uh, we do statistical analysis of data from a large, large number of papers that that we go in and really dig into and review. So the guideline itself is 111 recommendations, so it's a pretty uh, hefty document bound to cure insomnia if you uh, if you need it. Uh, and yeah, we're very happy with it, very proud of it, uh, and really feel it lays out the state of the art in terms of the evidence and should provide a really good Bible to help people diagnose, treat and support folks with ADHD in Australia. Great. And why was this important for ADHD in the Australian context? Well, uh, it's important because we've never had a clinical practice guideline for ADHD that's been approved by uh, the National Health and Medical Research Council, the NHMRC being our peak medical research body. Uh, So I think it's important both for clinicians, but I think, Sean, equally important for those uh, with a lived experience of ADHD to feel that their uh, condition has been recognised. The document itself has been uh, prepared with a lot of input from folks with lived experience. Uh, we wanted to make sure the the content uh, was accessible, the language was appropriate, and we didn't go down the track of using any stigmatizing language. So wherever possible, we you know focus on strengths rather than deficits. Uh, and yeah, I think it's uh, really really crucial that we have our own set of guidelines for ADHD for Australia that takes into account our own culture, our own um, clinical settings, etc. We need something that's uh, homemade and, and specific for us. Okay, great. And what were the main take-home messages for GPs in your guidelines? Yeah, so your listeners uh, will probably be aware that there's a lot of discussion at the moment about the potential uh, role of GPs in in either diagnosis and uh, treatment of ADHD. So the guideline, uh, we had representation from the Royal Australian College of GPs, uh, one of our guideline development group members Uh, represented uh, that organisation. So we had lots of discussions about the roles uh, of GP. And I think the key take home for the guideline or from the guideline that we'd like people to realise is that 
Really what we're advocating for is a very much an interdisciplinary care model for ADHD. Uh, we don't want treatment to be siloed. We want there to be a back and forth communication from all the professionals that are involved in uh, treating and supporting folks with ADHD. And GPs, you know, are critical in this because they're usually or almost always uh, the starting point for a journey when someone starts to seek out a diagnosis and treatment for ADHD. Uh, so we think uh, GPs are really crucial. Uh, we want GPs to become increasingly knowledgeable and aware of how to diagnose and treat ADHD. We think there is a big role that GPs can play, even in uh, psychoeducation for folks with ADHD, to make them aware of the presentations uh, of ADHD, how it presents some factors relating to the etiology of it, potentially. Mm. Okay. One of the things as GPs that we really come up against is um, service delivery and service capacity. In your studies, did you find any suggestions or have any suggestions for how that could be overcome? Yeah, look, again, that's a, a really hot topic right now in Australia. So as everyone is aware, we have very large wait lists at the moment for people to uh, get in to see either a psychologist or perhaps a psychiatrist in the adult space, psychologists and psychiatrists being the main ones who diagnose adult ADHD. And I think a lot of people are feeling that GPs will be our saviour here, right? If um, more GPs were able to diagnose uh, and treat, then it would remove some of this backlog and enable people to get help earlier. But the rub of that is, of course, that that's going to place a large time commitment on your average GP. Uh, the assessment, the diagnosis of ADHD uh, isn't quick. Good uh, treatment of ADHD takes careful consideration. Uh, so this is naturally going to impact any GP clinical practice and there'd need to be consideration of how that's going to be appropriately compensated uh, with Medicare rebates, etc. On top of that, Sean, I think we need a much more unified approach to how we will train and upskill GPs uh, to enable them to have the skills to diagnose and treat ADHD and, and the confidence as well. So I think it's a, it's a kind of a, a big issue for Australia going forward. I think there needs to be a lot of leadership from the Royal Australian College of GPs and certainly at uh, the Australian ADHD Professionals Association. We're very keen to, to work with groups like the RACGP to work out how we can best start to put together training modules to help uh, GPs. There are a lot of individuals at the moment around the country who are currently trying to work up GP training courses, etc. They're all great initiatives. Uh, I think we need to move towards something that's a bit more unified. Mm. Look, I'd agree with that. And it's probably a good spot for me to put in a plug for the RACGP specific interest group on neurodiversity. It's the newest of all of the specific interest groups. And if people are interested in joining that, then um, please contact the specific interest group faculty uh, of the college. So Mark, final question. What are some of the key outstanding issues we need to address going forward? Uh, look, when you develop a guideline like this, one of the benefits, I guess, is that it brings into focus pieces of knowledge that we don't have. Uh, and there are a number of areas that we identified uh, in the guideline that we'd like to uh, work towards filling knowledge gaps uh, in so that when we revise the guideline, 
uh, in five years' time, we have uh, better knowledge. And those principally are around the presentation in girls and women, particularly the phenomenon of uh, masking in girls. So we think that girls don't present as early uh, with ADHD in childhood because they're able to either mask their symptoms socially, they're a bit more able to do that. Uh, They're perhaps less hyperactive, for example, and more uh, inattentive. But we'd like to know what the impact of the onset of puberty is, for example, uh, because we know that women are reaching adulthood and seeking out diagnoses, uh, and we want to know the factors that are leading to that. We also need to know what's happening in older women, for example, around perimenopause and menopause. Many women are telling us that they feel like their ADHD symptoms are exacerbated, during those phases and and even the treatments may be less effective. So they're really important pieces of information that we have almost no knowledge about. Mm. We need to know also a lot more about ADHD in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, for example, and really we need to develop culturally appropriate tools to measure ADHD uh, in those groups as well. So they're just a couple of little areas, well, actually quite big areas, that we need to increase our knowledge in so that we can better support people. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? You don't know what you don't know until you go looking. Yeah, look, the ADHD published literature is vast, but particularly for girls and women, it's been heavily biased towards boys and men because of, I guess, the, the stereotype of uh, the boy uh, with ADHD. Certainly, we need to redress that. Uh, We need much more inclusive recruitment practices into research studies. And we need, you know, hopefully women to come forward and get involved in research studies as well. Thanks very much, Mark. That is fascinating. I really hope the treatment of ADHD continues to improve and evolve. And I wish you all the best for your work moving forward. Thank you very much, Sean, and I appreciate uh, the interest of your listeners. The Good GP is produced and edited by the team at RACGPWA. If you've got any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, please feel free to email us at thegoodgp at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.